0: It's not what you do for your children, but what you've taught them to do for themselves on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential.
1: To think about positive psychology, it's a science and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness.
2: You have some factors in your control. that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain.
3: And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things.
1: We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now.
0: Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Wherever you're tuning in from, however you may be tuning in, we're just glad that you are making us a part of your day. We are also encouraged that more of you are making Live Happy magazine a part of your day. You can get uh, the latest edition wherever fine magazines are sold, preferably at Barnes & Noble. It's easy. It's right there. You can find it. You can also get the digital edition. You can go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, and that will have all kinds of special features involved as well. It's like the director's cut of the magazine pretty cool stuff. Well, this week, we have got two guests. A rare uh, doubleheader right here on uh, the Live Happy Now podcast. We've got uh, Molly Dahl and Dr. Karen Feldman. First up, we had a conversation with Molly Dahl, author of Youth Positive, Exploring the Unique Genius of Every 21st Century Adolescent, and the Youth Positive Teacher's Guide. And she conducts teacher trainings and workshops and presents youth positive and positive education at conferences around the country. She also holds a Certificate in Positive Psychology from the whole being institute well molly thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here with us on uh, the live happy now podcast and i I gotta ask because so many people are are seeing teens these days and well kids these days they aren't how i used to be what what made you take a look at kids and go yes there's potential here we can do something great with these kids
3: well that's a great question because that's kind of why I became a school teacher. it was a total accident and I fell in love with it because teenagers are amazing and I was lucky enough to be in the classroom for 15 years with them and they really shaped the way that I developed as a teacher because they have so many needs that we didn't have, you know, older generations, they're not like I was. I totally get that. So I started studying adolescent brain development and learning acquisition theory, which led me into studies of positive psychology. And my last uh, probably five years of teaching, I just started feeding to my students the things that I was learning about positive psychology, about how you really learn, how you learn best, and they loved it. And the last two years in the classroom, I was formally enrolled in the whole being institute's positive psychology certification program. Mm -hmm. And so I started creating lessons for them and they loved it. And it was it just really opened up everything in the classroom and they became super interested and engaged in being, you know, out in the world and taking part and, you know, respectful and kind. And it was it was super fun. There's a great my great story. Uh, I had my second to last year in my very last class of the day, which at the end of the school day, everybody's exhausted. I had 42
2: freshmen
3: freshmen and sophomores, just a handful of sophomores, 42 of them. I didn't have enough desks in my classroom, so we were were sitting on upside-down garbage cans. You know, (laughs) it was that typical overcrowding thing. And I said, okay, you guys, we got 42 of you and one of me and we have to make it to June, and here's how it's going to go. And I started really focusing them on their learning skills and how they paid attention to how they were learning. So it was a lot of this metacognition. And we would talk about everything because it was Spanish, so we used our conversation time to talk about this stuff. And one day one of my students in the back raised his hand. He said, Ms. Dahl, will you tell us about the meaning of life? And I'm like, oh, yeah, good tactic to get me off track because they knew I love that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not buying it today. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. And he said, well, seriously, we were talking about this at lunch, and we really want to know. And I said, oh, yeah, who's the we that was talking about this? I am not kidding you. About half of the hands in my classroom went up. And I was oh, wow. amazed. I said, you guys talk about this stuff at lunch? And, you you know, the comments were so, they were just so encouraging. Like, you're doing something good with these kids, Ms. Dahl. It was awesome. And so I said, you know what, yeah, let's finish up this task that we have, make sure that we all get it, and then we'll talk about it. And so we did. And so they, they, what's the meaning of life? I said, the meaning of your life is to be happy. And they kind of were like, what are you talking about? I said, listen. Think about the happy people in your life and how do they behave? And that is the key to your life, being happy. Because when you're happy, you're nice, Mm -hmm. you're kind, you see perspectives that aren't your own, you're available to differences without being fearful or critical. And so happiness is a worthy goal. And, oh, my goodness, that we had the best class discussion. It was the highlight of my teaching career. That class, those 42 little freshmen and sophomore kiddos, it was amazing.
0: That's incredible. I was never a part of a class like that in high school. I can assure you of that. Well, we might have had a teacher that could have done that, but no one in, in my high school was thinking that way. A couple of things jumped out at me uh, while while you were talking there. Number one, you talked about the different needs that kids have. Uh, these days and and it's amazing to me because I didn't graduate high school all that long ago. I mean, it's been uh, more than a decade, but it, it doesn't seem like it was forever ago. And now I'm watching my sister and my brother uh, get to the end of their high school career. And it is so different from what I went through. I can't imagine being able to pick out the, the different needs and things. Because we don't have experience with it. We didn't have social media. We didn't have constant connection.
3: Right. So different.
0: The other thing I wanted to ask is, of course, you got interested in positive psychology. I got interested in positive psychology. But one thing that that always worried me is early on when people would talk to me about positive psychology, oh, it's just more of that power of positive thinking junk. It's People want you to believe the world is all, uh, you know, lemonade and nursery rhymes, and and it's not. And so I'm not going to even pay attention to this. How did you, did you find any pushback or were kids just really into this stuff?
3: Well, you know, it was great because the kids were really into it. I think and a lot of that is because the way I presented it, I am not a rainbow unicorn huggy kind of girl <laughs> at all.
2: <laughs> Good. I'm Neither really, are we.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not earth. I grew up in the dirt. Uh, I come from hard times, and mm-hmm. so for me, it has to be real. It has to be super grounded. And so being able to study the the science of happiness was a fascinating thing for me. I grew up in a pretty small town, and everybody knew each other. We all went to church together and that kind of thing. And so we were really grounded on what it is to have the behavior, to be polite, to use your manners, And so for me, when I was studying a positive psychology, it was just the languaging to put all of this stuff into the schools where you could actually teach kids why it is so important to have manners because here's the science, you know. And so it was was really useful for me as a teacher. And then even with my colleagues, I did a couple trainings with them as I was studying this. You know, this isn't just feel good, happy, happy, let's think positive. This is real science that demonstrates what happy and successful people do. And so we model ourselves after what these happy, thriving people are doing. And, and it's not wishy-washy. And, and so my kids were really appreciative. You know, and we, I had them read some of the articles. And, you know, we did Daryl Ben's self-perception and we read about that and then they connected it to what they were learning in their other classes and so you know it's it's such a a great opportunity to bring it in now to so many kids just you know connect it to their science classes oh here's a new science that's, you know got these great things about how to be happy and it's it's fun
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it's and and at that age, you know, there's some kids that just really want to dive in and learn that stuff and then other kids that'll pick it up by osmosis whether they want to or not. So, uh that's a yeah. that's a great way to get started with it. And I and I love that you're you're not trying to preach the idea that oh, if you're just happy and you force yourself to smile in the face, you know, that that doesn't work. It's like you said, it's got to be real. Uh I'm also yeah. wondering if you and I grew up in the same small town because uh, it sounds exactly like where I grew up. Um <laughs> Uh, awesome. <laughs> when we're talking about uh, your your projects, the Youth Positive Teachers, guys, and Youth Positive and Positive Education, y- you use youth as an acronym. What what does that stand for?
3: It came to me, you know, it was one of those things where you're puzzling and putting all the pieces together, and you think, I I have no idea, I have to let this rest. I'll look at it in the morning. Uh-huh. And it, it just pops in, so the why is you, mm-hmm. who you are, we go through um, your learning style so you can figure out how to best learn in school, how you take care of your physical self, um, your self-perception and self-concept. And this is a great place to start with kids. Well, probably anybody, because this is what we think about, you know, it's right. Me, it's your mind. How, so we start there. That's where teenagers are. And we they, I tell you what, they give them two spoons and they will eat this with both hands because they are so interested in who they are and how they present to the world. Yeah. And so we take them through that, that process of that self-exploration, but it's not, just, it's not how you present yourself to the world. It's who you really are. Mm. And as we go through that whole first three letters, the Y-O-U, we just keep going deeper into your outlook, how you see the world you know, how you take perspective or you don't know how to take perspective yet. So let's figure that out because that is such a necessary tool. Um, We go through the positivity boosters and positive emotions with Barbara Fredrickson and why it matters to have positive emotions because Mm -hmm. they create the mental space for you to learn, to build and broaden. And then your understanding, the you, moves into You know, your mindset, your attitudes, your beliefs, how to develop a growth mindset. And so it's kind of magical how it turned out because that Y-O-U, as we take the students through that, gives them a platform, a strong foundation of the self. Mm -hmm. And then we move into relationship, which is the T, together. The idea behind it, and it's pretty subtle, that when we have a strong foundation of the self, most of the time our relationships are successful yeah. and you know, the d- divorce rate and all that crazy stuff that's happening, you know, and I, I read a couple of different places that it's because the person, the individual isn't strong. Right. And so the relationship can't be strong. So my hope is that <laughs> students who drew you as positive won't end up on the therapy couch when they're 35.
0: Right. Yeah. They who they are. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. <and> so,
3: <laughs> So that T and the together is what relationship really is, and how um, how you can create the relationships you want through the way that you behave in those relationships, the way that you take perspective, the way that you understand them. Uh, a lot of communication skills. For teenagers, mm-hmm. what it really means if you put your hand on your hip and you rock that to the side and roll your eyes, what that says <laughs> to your mother.
0: I'm picturing <laughs> you know my sister know? right now. That's her go-to move <laughs> still to this day.
3: <laughs> and so it's really great to see their little lights come on when they're like, oh, my gosh, that's what my face looks like when I say that to my mom. No wonder she doesn't really like that. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. And then all the way through to H. And H is happier. And I put it as happier, not happy. Because happy can be really daunting in this day of age. It can be that little pie in the sky, like, oh, everything has to be great before I'll ever be happy. And so happier, you know, as room for growth. Some days are going to be great. And some days you're going to tank. And so just gradually, over time, with continual practice, watching yourself become happier and happier Um, Looking at opportunities for flow and thriving and flourishing. And a big section of that is gratitude and generosity. Um, Just teaching kids really. I mean, we have hot water whenever we want it, when we turn a little handle. Yeah. That is a big reason to be grateful. You know, I've lived in so many places in the world that you can't get hot water hardly ever. Yeah, exactly. You don't have toilets to flush. So to just bring that in to kids, look, you have a toilet that flushes whenever you need it to. You can take a hot shower two times a day if
0: you want. And you should. And you should. Yes.
3: You should. You should. That is terrible.
0: I got, a, I got a brother in high school, let me tell you. And I was in high school once, too. Yeah, I... mm-hmm. Uh, uh, please do
3: (laughs) that's great and then we finish off the whole thing with a service project because really you know you do these positive psychology practices so that you can contribute to creating a world where everybody has opportunity to thrive and flourish and so i find it to be really super important for kids to take it out into the world and so we end the year on a service project
0: yeah, that's that is very key, uh, and and I like I, I like the the flow of that because you kind of start out focusing, like you said, you focus on you, and I can remember being a teenager, and and I don't know that I've completely overcome it, but I remember being a teenager, and you're almost entirely self-absorbed. I mean, there there's there's teens who do altruistic things and and that's that I'm not discounting that. I think that's great. But as a teenager, you're almost supposed to be. You're trying to figure out, as you said, who you are, what's important to you, what your values are. And then to end the program by by having them take it out into the world and, and see the impact they can have is is an incredible flow. That's that's really great.
3: Well, thanks. Yeah, again, it was one of those magical things that kind of all pieced itself together in a big puzzle. So I was super happy when that
0: came out on the page. I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a natural progression. I think once you've kind of gotten to that point in your life where you can see those types of progressions that, that one person's actions can have impact on the entire community. Uh, it it's great how that works itself out. Who do you, who do you yeah. believe can benefit the most from from your program?
3: Oh, probably the kids. When I first started, you know, I did high school because that's my expertise area with the teenagers. I love them. Um, middle school <laughs> kids, I I had to, you know, do a lot of perspective taking. And <laughs> and I, I substitute that. But after I quit teaching in my classroom when I was writing the books and stuff, I substitute taught a lot to get into the middle school mm-hmm. um, setting and to learn those kids a little bit more. And people kept asking me, where's the elementary version? Where's the elementary version? And now there is an elementary version, which is amazing um, wow. for the little kids. And I think if we start when they're young, it would be amazing. Yeah. But I, I find that so many people don't know what to do with teenagers. And so, and like we started, teens get such a bad rap, you know? They have just this thing that, oh, this thing are you. And I love them, and I want the whole world to know. I want the whole world to see teenagers how I see them. They are amazing. They are so full of potential, and they they just need guidance. And who doesn't, really? Right. You know? And so I think for the teenagers is probably uh, where it can have the most impact.
0: Uh, a friend of ours it's funny you mentioned that a friend of ours talks about how her kids are always annoyed with her and and they're always annoyed with their teenagers and she said but i but I think it's supposed to be that way so that by the time they're eighteen, you're both ready for everyone to just move out. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It's it's good if they're showing a little bit of independence, but if they're also taking initiative with with this program or by themselves uh, to become uh, better, more well-rounded people, that's that's good as well. Uh, is this something yeah. you, you mentioned? You kind of start with teens, and then you get you went back to middle school, and now there's an elementary school program. I would imagine there are some applications for the things you're teaching these teenagers for people like, I don't know, you and me that are in the workplace. Are are, are there applications for adults like this? Is anyone doing anything like this?
3: Um, Well,
0: I don't know if anyone is doing anything like this
3: yet, which specifically is positive. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the positive psychology, of course, that's happening. I have – it is so interesting. I have parents that will order the book, and uh, then I'll get a little note – I started doing the book for myself, so I need to order another one for my child. (laughs) Oh, God, that is awesome. And so there are actually a lot of parents out there that are going through it. I have a couple different ladies in my yoga and meditation classes that are working through it. And I get the sweetest comments. This one gal we talked the other day, and she said, You know, Molly, I have been working through this lesson by lesson. I'm about halfway through And how I wished I would have had something like this as a teenager. And as an adult, she said, I'm nearly 62. And this is changing my life. Wow. And I just, oh, wow. That is so awesome. So I, you know, and it's written, the high school book is written for an 11th grade level, which is really on the high end of high school kids nowadays. But it's, 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 what most adults in the country read at. And so if, it's, if an adult picks it up, you know, there will be examples that are specific to a high school kid. But regardless of those, the information is taken right from the books of positive psychology, just tailored for the high school mind. So it does have application for the parents, the teachers that teach it, read it, and, and they have the same comment. I wish I would have had this when I was a kid. <laughs>
0: I can tell you right now, I wish I would have had it when I was a kid. If if you could have caught me, you know, like as a freshman, like you were talking about, my freshman and sophomore year, I would have probably been nicer to people. That would have changed everything.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's another great thing. I just um, got Carson City High School here in Nevada, uh-huh. and we're using it for the freshman transition. So we get 650 trans- freshmen freshmen in that transition program, and I'm going to go in and do some guest speaking and, I've been working with the teachers to do a little bit of teacher training, and it just, it's just—it's really exciting because it's the first school that has adopted it for their whole freshman transition program.
0: That's excellent. As you mentioned, you're, you're in Nevada. We're in Texas. I'm told by our producer that we are listened to all around the country. She may just be telling me that for ego purposes, but I'm going to assume that it's true. <laughs> uh, if people around the country would like to implement your program, how can they go about getting in contact with you or booking you or, or, or what, what's that process?
3: Well on my website there is a contact page yeah just reach out and we'll con we'll have a conversation about what the needs of the students are what the needs of the teachers are and and the the great thing about it you know this is kind of true of positive psychology in general is it's I don't know if this is a word I might be inventing a word it's tailorable tailor it to any group any you know any set of kids any whole school any socioeconomic background it just it fits because it's it's the core of who we all are it's the truth of who we want to be and how we want to be our ideal best self
0: Absolutely. That's uh, certainly something we found. We can we can uh, take the information and find it in uh, many different ways and ways to apply it to people. So I'm sure teachers are going to be able to do that with their students, which you have to do in teaching anyway, because every class and every kid is different. So uh, finding the way to reach kids is uh, certainly a a, I would think a fun challenge. Maybe I'm wrong. You're the teacher. You're the expert.
3: I think it's a super fun challenge and I know not every <laughs> single teacher agrees with me, but <laughs> there are a lot out there that say, yeah, that's
0: the fun part. <laughs> well, we certainly want to thank you for being on the program. We also want to thank you. We've got a worksheet uh, that we're going to make available for download on livehappynow.com. It's a worksheet on goal setting. And we've also got a free guide to three deep breaths. And, uh, so we're looking forward to uh, having that out there and having people try it out. But, uh, Thanks for joining us. I, I feel like there's a, a ton more to discuss, so we'll, we'll have to do that uh, at another time. But thanks for, thanks for taking some time out.
3: Oh, thank you so much. I sure appreciate it. It's my pleasure.
0: Thanks again, Molly, for uh, joining us. We look forward to hearing more. You can find out more about Molly by going to livehappynow.com. Our next guest is Dr. Karen Feldman, a clinical psychologist and a certified school psychologist. She provides in-services, interactive workshops, and now is writing her first book titled The Grit Guide for Teens. The highlights there of Dr. Feldman's professional life. We appreciate you uh, joining us so much, Dr. Feldman, and we're excited to talk about this because I think the concept of grit, maybe it's just each generation feels the one after them doesn't grasp it quite as well as their generation did. It could be back in my dayism, but maybe I'm wrong. Do you feel like young folks are, are losing a bit of the grit than maybe some of the older generations have had?
1: Well, I do think that it's hard today to be a teen and to be gritty. I think there is a lot of pressure on teens today. I think there's lots to distract them. I think sometimes as parents, and I can be one of them, sometimes we can overprotect them. Or in some, you know, um, groups, they have so much stress, it's just hard to, like, do the things that they need to do. So I think it's really challenging to have grit. And especially, I think what's really unique about this generation is about long term everything is about immediate like everything is like you know the phone and the texting and all that stuff we're just getting so programmed to think immediately and grit is about the long term so i think that that makes it a little hard
0: yeah for sure it's it's not something that people are wired into or an instant uh gratification society and and that's not just true for teens it's true for those of us who have not been teens for for a number of years but uh, was, was that the sort of thing that, that inspired you to write this book, the immediacy uh, needs that you're seeing kids with? Or, or what, what was the, the catalyst for making this happen?
1: So I think I've come from this like from two places. One, from a professional place. I'm a clinical child, adolescent psychologist. I see a lot of patients. And what I noticed among my patients, I was really interested in how people make decisions and how people change. And what I saw, I have a lot of patients with anxiety, is that the ones who are gritty, the ones who can think about the long term and stick to a plan and stick to their goals, no matter how hard, were the ones who got better. So, I really was really interested in this quality in terms of my clinical practice. and personally, I've always been very gritty in terms of my academics. So school was something I've always been consistent with, but my wellness, not so much. So, I actually did what I kind of asked the team to do in the book, which is to look to your strength to build the area that you can grow. And that's something that I really wanted to share with people. It's like, how do we learn from our strength to make an area where we're interested in growing a little bit stronger?
0: Why is this something that's important? Because, I mean, you're a kid, you're sitting there, you're thinking, well, I mean, I've got all this other stuff and all these people are handling these things for me. Why do I need to develop this? Oh, because
1: I do think that the good things in life are about the long term, the things that are Mm -hmm. meaningful, that have value is about tapping into that long term, more future self. And so I think, especially even for kids, developmentally, kids really tend to think much more about the short term. So I think that it's essential, especially for 21st century learners and what we're going to want for these kids in terms of when they go into the workplace, we're going to want People to be greedy, and sometimes some of the complaints is that some of these teens and millennials aren't necessarily naturally in that way. But I think that there's a lot of um, environmental reasons for that, and, and a lot of like we said before, it, society today, even for adults, it makes it really hard to be gritty.
0: What uh, What are some ways that that if you're a, if you're a parent or or if maybe you're a teenager who's listening to this and you're wanting to develop these skills, what's the best way? to build this, this uh, attribute or this skill of grit.
1: You have to come from what I call a place of yes, a place of passion, of connection. You have to figure out like why, it's not so easy to take on long-term hard things. You have to figure out the why. Why do you want to do this? What's the buy-in? How do you, if you're a teen, why do you want to do this? If you're a parent, how do you kind of frame it in a way that you're gonna get buy-in from your teen? So the buy-in is essential. I think you also have to have that kind of mindset. What kind of mindset we're talking about is being optimistic, but believing that along the way of any kind of thing that's challenging, you're going to have setbacks. So having that optimistic kind of growth mindset is really important, but that's not enough. you got to also have the behavior. You can't just have that mindset. You have to put in the time. You have to practice, and you have to set goals, and you have to figure out when your goals don't work how to kind of rebound and the last thing I always feel like when I've spoken to teens, because I did a lot of interviewing with teens before doing the book, they have people. They've got a support team. You have to have your grit team. So if you put all those things together, I think that's the best way to make what we call this authentic grit, this grit that's really often for a sense of purpose, like doing it for your, not only for yourself but for other people
0: too. And I realize that, that everybody is different, and, and I can remember back to my own high school days, the kids who were very likely to persevere in the face of adversity or very likely to fold and collapse in the face of adversity or very likely to have somebody come fight their battles. I mean, everybody has a different situation. But in generalities, how do you think we get the kids to buy into this idea that, that the long term is incredibly important? I think
1: we have to be, like you said, aware that teens and kids don't naturally think about this. But what I love about this, and this is my psychologist hat, is I do think these things can be taught. Just like other skills might not come naturally to people, I think that with the right method, you can kind of sell these things and have teens really buy in and take, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and want to do this for themselves. I do think that one of the things that I know that um, has, I've gotten feedback from teens is really helpful is this notion of, like, Sometimes it's this iceberg illusion. I think that sometimes teens, especially I feel like with social media today, people just see rainbows and unicorns. Like nobody's posting an ugly, you know, selfie of themselves. I think there's a distortion that everything is rolling, everybody's just having a wonderful life. And I think it's really important for us to share that under all that success is a lot of hard work and a lot of failure, and that anyone who does anything great is going to have a setback along the way. And I think it's a really important message to share with teens, because I think that that's a little bit, especially given everything with social media, I think that that can get really distorted. Uh, and I also think that things have got past this. I think there's sometimes this notion, like, that these really, like, people like these kids that they see in their class who are doing really well in school or the athletes or kids who are socially just out there, they just woke up that way or were born that way. And they don't realize that it comes with a lot of practice and a lot of hard work. So I think that that's a really important message to share.
0: For sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to all the times I was jealous of the kids who were better athletes than me, which I believe were roughly all of them, and you just think, well, hey, they, they just go out there and they're popular and they're cool and and uh, it's it's a natural thing and you don't even, th- you only see them at the game, you know, you're not seeing them out there uh, day after day uh, working so very hard and, and sweating and gritting it out uh, on the practice field or, or uh, in the gym. It's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing, I think, uh, the kids don't really see it. One thing that that really I th- I think maybe would would add to the struggle here is the way people have begun parenting these days. And I can remember it, it was a while ago that I was in high school, but still uh, not all that long ago. And I remember kids who would get in trouble and it was never their fault, according to their parents. Uh, it was always somebody else's fault. It was always the teacher was out to get him and, and they were going to come in and they were going to make sure Junior got uh, his way. And the kid never built up, I guess, that uh, almost immune system to fighting their own battles. How do we keep parents from doing those sorts of things?
1: I heard Ken Ginsburg, who is a uh, pediatrician who writes a lot about resilience, you have to think about the 50-year plan, not <laughs> like the five-year plan. Yeah. What do you want your kids in 50 years? It's what I'm doing right now as a parent. It might help them get out of uh, this annoying teacher's class, but am I really giving them the skill set that they're going to need to be an effective and a a good community member when they're 50. Um, And I think that that's what parents have to do, because I think just like like teens, we get anxious, and then we want to fix things and make it go away, and we step in, and we don't really think about, like, what's the ultimate message we're sending by us stepping in to our kids? And also, are we not letting our kids learn to pick themselves up when they have that safety net? I feel like the teenage years, you know, especially the high school years, the kids can make mistakes, and they're living at home. You can, like, fix, you know what I'm saying? they the safety net. And ultimately, they're going to be independent, and they want to have the skills so that they can really, truly really fly. But if we don't prepare them when they're in high school or even younger, how do you expect them to get there? So I think that we need to, like, take a step back, and we sometimes need to, like, breathe and say that it's going to be okay, but... Just as we want to make it feel, you know, just as we want to develop them to be happy, I think we also need to be really mindful about helping them to be more autonomous and learning how to have their own voice and learning how to deal with setbacks.
0: Yeah, and, and the the qualities of, of the resilience and the grit and the perseverance and those types of things. And I really like what you said about the idea of, The safety net that they've got at home and you know kids are going to screw up i certainly screwed up uh, a lot more than i'd probably even like to admit now and definitely more than i like to admit then but my parents were there they didn't just let me drown they would let me fall into the water though i think that's a a key skill to let them fall into that water and try to figure it out themselves before it's too late then you swoop in but but don't keep them on the on the shore the whole time
1: right so And again, I mentioned this guy, Ken Ginsberg, he talks about being a lighthouse parent, and I like that metaphor, which is you shine a light, but you're not like completely like coddling and swallowing them. You're guiding them. It's not like you're supposed to be a hands-off parent, but there's this notion that you're on a different, like you're not on the same exact store with them all the time, like completely picking them up. Um, And I think that that's a really nice way for us as parents to kind of think about this. is like how do we be this lighthouse for our children? as opposed to a helicopter or a snow power or, or the different kind of parenting things that again i feel like people do not because they want to be bad parents but it's hard and people get anxious so i think like recognizing that recognizing what drives that and then kind of figuring out how do they really be more mindful of that and, and make a different choice
0: you know when i was a kid i got to about the age of 14 is when i about, I really wanted to move out and be on my own. And, of course, my parents wouldn't let me because uh, they were decent parents. Um, but but I wanted that independence, I, and, and I craved it. And when I was 18, th- that's the last time I was going to live with my parents. And I, I was set and determined that, that I was never going to come back, uh, at least to live with them. I, I visit. I'm, I'm not a terrible son. But... <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you get the sense that teens today, that, that, that almost that independent streak that I had is is something that kids have, or, or is that a rare thing nowadays?
1: There's something in us that makes us want to not like the food that our parents are serving and the food laundry service, right? Yeah. So like, there's something in us hormonally that wants us to grow up and move out, which is a good thing, because it's not all kids would still stay in their parents' like basement, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think that a little bit, That relationship has sort of changed a little bit. I don't know. I think that there are kids, and I think that actually teens and college students are often kind of coming back from the house. Um, And it looks a little bit different. And I think the parenting today is a little bit different. So I don't know cause and effect. I definitely think that teens have that hormonal thing, which I think, again, is good in terms of us moving out to do that. But I do think a little bit the balance has shifted a little bit. Um, and, and and maybe, as I said, and partly it might be that some kids do economically have to kind of come back and it works on some level. But I think the big message is as parents, how do we just be like thoughtful, just like we want our kids to grow and develop in other areas? How do we really help them to be independent or autonomous? Because ultimately that's the goal here.
0: For sure, and my question in a roundabout way, asking: Are kids craving uh, this this development of the skill or of the attribute of grit? Uh, because I know that there are some kids out there at that age; they're so irritated with their parents, and their parents are thinking, "Well, yeah, you're supposed to be. Then you'll never want to come back." But is is the the want to to develop grit there? I
1: think that kids want to have a goal and sort of stick to things like that again i do think that maybe as i said and that's not my area of expertise in terms of you know in the research in terms of independence and launching and things like that but i definitely think that that might have shifted but as i said, i do think that there's always this kind of biological drive to leave the house although it may be tempered by the way that we as parents are sort of parenting today um, and as I said, though, I do think that one of the things is, is that I've done this work where I've gone to schools and I've talked to teens, and teens are excited about talking about this. They want to figure out how to grow an area that they feel is important. I think sometimes this work gets misinterpreted, and it's like, let's just make kids be gritty, and we don't get that buy-in. And I think with teens, the work is getting that buy-in, and to do it in a way that sort of stealthy and nudgy and not bulldozy. Because I think as parents, we kind of bulldoze our kids, um, yeah. often with these messages. <laughs> and I think we have to be kind of creative about how we sell the message.
0: You know, one thing that's always been said about uh, millennials, of which I guess I'm on the upper end of that uh, generation, is that we don't, you can't just tell us what you want us to do you have to tell us why you want us to do it before we can buy in. And I, and I think that probably applies to the generation uh, that's coming up after us, uh, that they're gonna have that same kind of curiosity about why we need to do these things.
1: Right. You know, again, people would say, like, back in the day, parents were able to have a style, like, you need to do this because I told you. Like, that doesn't fly very much anymore. Like, parents kinda can't get away with, I told you, you know, you <laughs> think. things. So I think that, that, that ship has sale um, I do think some of my parents over-talk things, but I do think the why is important. And I think that again, and I, um, I found this with my work is that I really need to be thoughtful about how to get kids inspired in this work. One of the things that I've done is I actually created a YouTube channel um, yeah. it's called the Good Guide for Teens YouTube channel, and it's teens sharing their story. And I feel like when teams hear other teams share, um, what they've done, it's been really powerful. I also do, I work in an elementary school as a school psychologist, and I do work where I have older kids teaching younger kids, and they love it. Like, the older kids learn their message, and the younger kids just love listening to the older kids. So I think if we can get team buy-in and team input in the whole process, that is a critical part of of, of doing this. It's it's not a stuff you can
0: skip. For sure, and I and I really do like that that you brought up the YouTube channel and and those sorts of things because it, it here you know it live happy and what we do with the magazine and the podcast and the radio show and all those sorts of things is we talk about the science of it and that's all well and good but it it I don't think it really hits home and it's really not going to hit home for a teen unless you show them that yeah this actually works and here are some people that it has actually worked for so I think it's an incredibly great idea and then not only do you have the book that that kind of gives them the roadmap and, and and so on, but you've got other kids that are stepping up and saying, Yeah, this worked for me. Here's how it worked, and, and here's how I think you can go about it. I think that's an incredibly great idea.
1: It kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning is that we as a society, it's not only kids, adults too, so we don't publicize our like steps and our challenges. Yeah. And what I do in this video is I'm transparent. These kids are saying, You know what? When I tried to do this cool thing with this musical instrument, I, like, messed up at first. Or when I, like, had to go to sleeping camp after I got diagnosed with diabetes, it felt raw and it felt hard. But I went, and even though I was really scared, I did it. But people don't always talk. As I said before, you don't see that on social media. You don't see the steps, the increments. And I think that that's really refreshing and helpful for people and especially teens to see that. Um, and especially in a social media vest, you know, vehicle as opposed to what they normally see.
0: Well, as as you're talking about that, all I can think of is, well, yeah, we just go to the Yankee game. We don't watch them uh, at batting practice. We're not watching them field grounders again and again before anybody gets into the stadium. We just see the finished product. But I think intuitively, uh, or instinctually, we need to know that they are going through those steps uh, before they're going on and, and, and winning ball games in World Series, and and apply that to to everything that requires practice. And certainly grittiness and and uh, that that type of attribute is something. That it does take practice
1: right right i like the acronym of fail which stands for first attempt in learning that's what fail is it's just my first attempt in learning um that was um by uh, a former indian president now uh, came up with that but but like that's that. really again those types of things are really
0: helpful well, very good. It's uh, it's an incredible uh, incredible thing you got going here. The book again, the Grit Guide for Teens, and uh, the YouTube channel. Where can where can they go again to uh, to find your YouTube channel?
1: So the best way I guess to find the YouTube channel is just put in the title of the book, The Grit Guide for Teens. Okay. In there, I have like different sections. I have videos of actually interviews like this, um, and then I have a whole section where. Teens are being interviewed and they share their grit stories across domains. One of the things I do in the book is I talk about different domains like academic grit, social, emotional, um, wellness, and um, and extracurricular grit. And so within those different domains, they speak about that. So if they go to Grit Guide for Teens YouTube channel, they'll find all the videos of um, these really inspirational teens. Um, it's been a really, really privilege to like, meet teens. It's been my favorite part. Part of what I try to offer of you with a book is to really partner with teams. And I even made like a book trailer with teams. They created it, they developed it, and they read it. And um, I love working with teams. And I hope that comes through in, in the book because it's been a great experience for me.
0: Well, we really appreciate uh, not only you joining us here, but the work you're doing with uh, kids today, and hopefully uh, this will reach out. I think it's always fun to do something that reaches out further uh, than your own uh, community, which it's great to work in your own community, but when you can start to spread these ideas uh, out and about, it's so much fun, and I I hope it works out uh, very well for you, because this is a very important uh, skill and attribute that we need to to build uh, in America today. Thank you for taking the time out, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, catching up and seeing how all this goes for you sometime down the road okay
1: sounds great and thank you thanks for the opportunity i really thank you and i'm glad we're getting this package about Uh, it's just it's great thank you again
0: and again if you'd like a free worksheet on goal setting a free guide to three deep breaths and other free downloads relating to this episode you can go to live happy now Dot com. Also, let us know what you thought of the episode. We love feedback. You can find us on Twitter at Live Happy, Facebook.com slash Live Happy, or send us an email podcast at LiveHappy.com. For everyone involved with the Live Happy Now podcast, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and thank you for helping us to live happy.